welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Amen. Well, good morning. Hey, that was pretty good, getting you guys trained after all of these years. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to go back to 1 Peter chapter 3 again. We'll be in there. Uh, growing up, I wanted nothing more than to be a cowboy. And I still haven't grown out of that. Two weeks ago, I went and bought a cowboy hat, and I told my wife, I'm going to wear it around town. And she said, no, you're not. So, y'all pray for us. But I wanted to be a cowboy so bad, and everybody knows if you're going to be a cowboy, you have to have a horse. But my family wouldn't buy me a horse. They bought me a donkey. I think I've told this story before. And I had this stubborn little donkey called Luck, and this thing would not listen to anything I said. Uh, little did I know, God was preparing me for so much in adult life with this donkey. But me and this donkey would have this fight, and we finally came to an agreement of how we were going to get along. He would let me sit on him, but he decided where we were going to go. And so what we would do is I would sit on him, I would ride him to the back of the farm, and then I would hop off and I would have to walk myself back up to the barn because he wasn't going to bring me there. And I kind of think about that now a lot as an adult. I think about that and I was like, how much is that like me, the stubborn part? Like with my Christian faith, how much is it like me to tell God, yeah, God, you can ride with me, but I'm going to decide where we go. You, you can be alone for the ride. You can enjoy the ride, but I'm going to be in control. And you know what I find interesting about that is that's not what God has called me to as a Christian. That's not what God has called us to to say you can ride with me you can go to work with me you can be in my life with me but I'm going to drive what God calls us to when we become followers of Christ he says you follow me when we get saved God says I'm going to be in the driver's seat and then you follow along with me now I've heard it said before and you probably have before how many of you have heard this hands up how many of you heard God has a plan for your life Anybody heard that? I, I agree with that. I disagree with the way that we say that because that's very me-centric. Like we, we tend to go, okay, God, you got a plan for my life. It's all about me. Here's what I really believe. I believe that God has a plan, but God's plan involves your life. Your, your life is part of his master plan. And what the Bible calls us to do is to grow in this mindset that I ride with God, that his plan is bigger than me, and, and that I'm going to live in that. And if we can live with that mindset, we're going to live way differently than the world, and we're going to respond to the world differently than other people do. We've been in a series the past several weeks, if you've been joining us, called Shine Bright. And here's the whole series in a nutshell. People don't want to hear you talk about Jesus Christ until they see Jesus Christ in your life. So we've been following along with Peter as he kind of tells us, how are we supposed to shine bright and be different from the world in a way that will make people look at us and know that we belong to Christ? Peter began his instructions in 1 Peter chapter 3 by calling us foreigners, that we, we have been set aside. This world is not our home. We are like visitors here when, when coming to this world. So we go into this world and we act differently than the culture around us. So far we've talked about the topics of how we handle government, how we talk to our masters and bosses, and we handle the authority of all of those. Last week we talked about how marriage within a Christian's life should be different than what we see in the world. 
What Peter is going to do today is he's going to give us his final thoughts on living as a foreigner in this world. And he's going to talk about specifically how we deal with others and how we handle adversity. If you've got your Bible, this is 1 Peter chapter 3. Read with me verses 8 through 12. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrawise, blessing. Knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and let his lips that speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good, let him speak peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back there. So last week, Peter was talking about, in the same context, he was talking about marriage. And he said, okay, within marriage, the cultural context of marriage is really one person is more important than the other. Within Christian marriage, as followers of Christ, you honor and respect each other and love each other as Christ has loved us. And so what he's going to do is he's going to take that same concept of marriage in that relationship, and he's going to start to apply that to other relationships. Continue that same thought. Deal with each other with compassion and love and be courteous to each other. Now, that makes sense to our culture in some aspects. Our culture would agree with that. If we come out and said, hey, what's this following Jesus thing all about? We'd be like, oh, you know, it's about loving everyone and being courteous. World peace, that could be part of our faith. And culturally, our world would celebrate that. They would be like, yes, absolutely, we like those ideals. But the way that our culture works is that our culture celebrates those ideals on the grand scale. And the big gestures. And the overarching statements. But where we're different is God does not call us just to have that as part of our culture as the grand scale. He calls us to have that as part of our, our lives on a micro scale. So where the culture would say, hey, we should love everybody. We should celebrate everybody. We'd be like, well, what about your neighbor? You know, the one that plays the loud music and their dog poops in your yard, that one. And the culture would say, oh, we hate that person. We, we don't like them. What Christ calls us to is apply that on a personal micro scale. Not, not just the big statement that says love everybody, care for everybody, but to take that and practice that in one-on-one -on -one relationships. And see, Peter drops this bombshell in verse 9. He says, listen, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to be a foreigner in this world and live differently, he says, as you go out of the world, do not render evil for evil. Do not give railing for railing. That, that word railing is not a word we would use. It's a word reviling, which is like angry insults. So what Peter's saying is when somebody treats you bad, don't treat them bad in, in reverse. If somebody comes at you with some angry insults, don't return those angry insults. Your first take home truth this morning is followers of Christ do not reciprocate negativity. And there's this intrinsic thing in us that says that's what we should do. We took my daughter on a field trip on Friday with her school, and uh, uh, we were there. And for the first time, we got to see her interact with other kids. And we were always like, oh, she's so sweet. Some kid tried to take her swing. And she was not having that. She got off the swing and pushed him away and got back in her swing. It's like, uh, I'm kind of proud of that. But not really, not really. We, we shouldn't do that. There's something in us, even as children, even as children, we know that if somebody harms us, we harm them back. That's why you see so much on, on, uh, on social media these days. One of the things that I see that I, I kind of like secretly love, and then I'm like, oh, this is horrible. I don't know why I love this, is, is videos where somebody will video someone who's just acting repeatedly dumb. I don't know what else the word 
it is. And they come up to some stranger, you can't park your car here. It's going to make my house look bad. And, and they, people are like, I'm going to video this and put it on social media because you attacked me. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to repay you by making you look dumb in front of the whole world. That, that's the way that we tend to want to work. And that's the way that our culture says to reciprocate. Our, our culture would say, hey, if somebody gives you something positive, respond positively. If somebody buys you coffee, buy them coffee back. If somebody gives you a compliment, you compliment them back. But our culture would also say you reciprocate the negative as well. If, if somebody yells at you, you're okay to yell back. If somebody robs you, it's okay to rob them back. And what's happened is that Christians have got caught up in this concept that we do good to others who do good to us, and it's okay if we do bad to others who do bad to us. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, Peter crushes this. He says instead of returning uh, railing or insults or evil, he says reciprocate in blessing. That means if somebody insults you as a follower of Christ, what we're supposed to do is turn around and compliment them back. If somebody attacks us, we're supposed to turn around and find a way to serve them. And you ask, now why would I do that? That is so countercultural, it almost sounds dumb. Why would I as a Christian treat somebody good who has treated me bad? It's because we know some things that they don't know. We, we know that there's more going on than just this one moment. There's more at stake than just what's happening at this instant. Read with me verse 12 again. This is what Peter says. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So here's what we know. No matter what happens, no matter how people treat us, no matter how we get attacked, here's what we know. If I'm righteous, if I handle myself correctly, God is on my side. And, and I don't want to lose that because the other part of the verse, it says that, that people that are doing evil, it says that God's face turns away from them. There's two sides of that. Number one, I have a healthy fear of God. I don't want him to oppose me. But number two, I also have a healthy trust of God that if somebody is evil to me, God notices and he takes action. Your next take on truth is we worship a God who fights our battles. And if we really walk into the world with that mindset, my God fights my battles. My God is going to take care of me no matter what happens to me, no matter how they treat me, no matter what I go through, my God is going to take care of that in the long run. It changes our mindset where we no longer feel the need to retaliate or give evil for evil because we know that God will do that. Uh, Peter continues, read with me verses 13 through 14. So it says, And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. And be not afraid of their terror, ne neither be troubled. So basically what Peter starts off saying is, he says, if you live verses 8 through 12, if in truth, if somebody does bad to you and you do good to them, as a general rule, who is going to treat you badly? Because even the culture of the sinful world says if somebody is good to you, you be good back to them. So who is going to attack you if you live this? If somebody is mean to you or, or treats you in a harsh way in some way and you respond with kindness, it's kind of going to start this, this sense of um, reciprocating that kindness. Now, that's a general rule, and I'm going to just hit on this for a second. I think it's fair to say, Christians, listen to me. If you live a life that has an overabundance of conflict, maybe possibly part of the problem is you. Maybe it's not everybody else. 
Maybe possibly the way that you're responding and treating people is keeping that cycle of violence or anger or hatred or insults going. Maybe. Because in general, when we treat people kindly, that will reciprocate back to us. Now, that's where we want to live. We want to live in verse 13 because there's something broken even in a Christian's mindset that wants to earn things. We want to live in the world. If I do good, good things happen to me. If I serve God, He blesses me. We want to live in a world where we earn what happens to us. And to some degree, sometimes that happens. But when it doesn't happen, because we all know that there are times in our lives where maybe we've done everything right that we can think of and things still don't go right, that's when we feel cheated. Like, God, come on, I did, I did this right. Why aren't you blessing me? I handled the whole relationship right thing. Why am I so lonely? I didn't attack this person. Why are they still attacking me? I showed up. I worked as hard as I could. Why did I get fired? God, you broke our contract. But see, our faith is not a contract. Our faith is not a contract, do good, get good. Our faith is a relationship in which we trust God. And we say, okay, maybe this isn't an instance of something good, but we'll walk through that together, God and I. What the Bible gives us is verse 14, and we often forget verse 14. Verse 14 gives us a contingency plan for when doing good doesn't always equal good things happening to us. When things don't go as planned, which is a possibility, a probability, and really should be an expectation. And what Peter's really going to be talking about here is like, hey, listen, honestly, you can expect people to attack you just because you're a follower of Christ. When I was 18 years old, I had the opportunity to go to France, another country that I got to go to. And we were standing in Paris, and we were preparing to board a train, an overnight train that was going to take us into Italy. And we were standing in, uh, in line and probably being obnoxious 18-year-olds, and, and we had a soccer ball, and we were playing with that soccer ball. And, and this French lady, I don't know if you guys know this, French people don't like us, and I'm not really sure. It's not like we saved them from Germany twice or anything like that. Anyway, they don't like us. And so she turned around, and she just went to town on us in French and it doesn't matter what language she was speaking you could tell that those were not nice words and then she ends it with I can't repeat exactly what she said but she knew just enough English to cuss at us in English and say stupid Americans and then turn around I didn't do anything to this lady I didn't bump into her I didn't hit her with soccer ball I didn't do anything but you know what she didn't like us because we were foreigners in her country Listen, if we truly live as foreigners in this world, if we live as different than the world, there will be people that hate us just because we're different and they don't understand us. The next take-home truth is the Bible does not promise us that we will never suffer. Unfortunately, we wish that it promises that. We feel like it should promise us that. But the Bible never promises that. In fact, it promises us the, um, it promises us the exact opposite, that we will have trials and temptations and problems. But the promise is, is that God will walk through those problems, trials, and temptations with us. So the question is not really is if we are going to suffer, when will we suffer? The question is how do we handle hardship? How does a follower of Christ handle hardship in this world in a way that glorifies God, in a way that speaks well of our faith? How do we do that? And in 
In asking that, what Peter gives us is a principle. The context of this verse is within relationships and how, pre, uh, how people treat you. But it applies back to a larger principle that we see in other places. How do we handle hardship in sickness? How do we handle hardship when we lose a job? How do we handle hardship in finance, financial troubles? And the principle is this, is what mindset you have in your circumstances is going to affect how you handle them. I love what Peter says here. Peter, we were talking about this in, in Bridge Cruise earlier. Peter sounds insane to me. He says, when people attack you, when you suffer, what does he say? Happy are you. You guys seen the video with Jennifer Anderson? Oh, lucky me. Some of you guys watch enough TikTok to know what I'm talking about. Like, 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 like that's how I feel. Like, oh, yay, suffering, being attacked. Thank you, God. Nobody responds that way. But that's what Peter says. He says, be or happy are you. That's translated to other places. Are you are blessed. This circumstance that is negative is applied by Peter as a positive. He goes forward and he's like, don't be afraid or trouble. That, that's interesting to me. Hey, you're going through this. Don't be afraid. Don't even let it bother you. And that's so different than what's natural to us because what's natural to us is our circumstances affect our emotions. But he gives us this instruction, be happy and, and don't worry about that. How on earth do we do that? Because everybody in here can walk out here. What are you going to do next time somebody cuts you off the top? I'm going to be happy and not worry about it. What are you going to do next thing, next time somebody's mean to you at work? I'm going to be happy and not worry about it. We say that and then we get to work and something happens to us and we're like... Rah. You guys know what I'm talking about. So how do we develop that mindset? Did you know that your emotions are controlled by what you find the most important? That's what will control your emotions. And so if it's a hobby, your hobby will control your emotions. I'm a big Razorback fan, as many of you are. I go through this emotional roller coaster every football season. They win, they lose, they win, they lose, they win, they lose, they lose, they lose, they lose, they lose. And it just affects my emotions because I think it's important for them to win. If the most important thing in your life is you, you're going to go through this emotional roller coaster based on every single thing that's happening to you. If the most important thing to your life is your relationships, you're going to go through this emotional roller coaster every time a relationship changes or goes through a strain. But as a follower of Christ, when we surrender our lives to God, what we do is we surrender ourselves to a plan that He has for us. We surrender to part of a master plan to see His kingdom brought to this earth, to see people come to know Him. And so as a follower of Christ, if we want to be able to handle hardship this way, you know what we have to do? We have to go, to, uh, go into these circumstances with a mindset ahead of time that's what's most important to me is God's plan. And if we can do that, if we can have this concept in our head, God's plan is the most important thing to me, the details of how his plan happens become of a little, important, a little importance. It's only the results that matter to us. That's what Peter is saying. He's saying, have a mindset that is based on the importance of the result of what's going to happen, not the importance of the journey that gets you there. It's getting to be summertime, and summertime is vacation time, as we all know. Like, it's time to go somewhere, it's time to do something fun, it's time to get away from all of you people that I don't want to see anymore at work, right? And so what do we do when we go on vacation? We have to take a road trip, and road trips are horrible, because it's a 12-hour car ride, 
Everybody in the car is tired. Everybody's cranky. Somebody's too hot. Somebody's too cold. Somebody's legs are cramping. One person forgot to put on deodorant, so we're dealing with that. Three people in the car have to pee, and everything smells like Slim Jims and Cheez-Its. That's just my trips, anyway. Why do we still travel? Because at the end of the journey, there's going to be a beautiful beach with sun, sand, and salt water. And there's going to be good food, and I don't have to wear a shirt for three days. And the journey is worth the result. In our Christian lives, you're going to go through circumstances that God's going to allow you to handle. He's going to allow these things to handle you. And you're going to say, these things don't seem very fair. But let me tell you, God is working a plan that you're going to have to go through part of the misery of the journey to get to the end result. Our, our next take-home truth is going to talk about that ways God, or four, uh, number four is ways God may use suffering in your life. Point A on that one is spiritual growth. God may use suffering in your life to bring about spiritual growth. This is a repeated sentiment. This isn't just Peter going rogue and saying, oh, you know, be happy in hardship. This is a repeated sentiment throughout the entire scripture. In James 1, it says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, because this will produce patience. So what James tells us, another, another author tells us, like, hey, you may go through hardship. God may let you go through hardship. And that's a good thing, because at the end of that, you're going to have patience. And patience is a tool that God can use to grow you or to use you in a new way. In Romans 3, let me flip back over, I'm sorry, Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, lead this. This is a different person speaking. This is Paul speaking. He says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Also knowing that tribulation works patience. So he's on the same road with uh, James there. Impatience experience and experience hope. And hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So what Paul is saying is like, hey, when you go through hardship, tribulations, understand you're going to make patience, perseverance that will turn into character. And eventually you will have hope. Ultimately, your faith grows when you go through hardship. Uh, we watched this show, or we did watch this show. Some of you have seen. You guys ever seen the show Forged in Fire? It's a really cool show. It's a, what they've done is they've taken a bunch of amateur blacksmiths and they put them in a competition where they have to make a knife in a certain amount of time or a sword or something like that. And uh, what's funny about this show is if you watch it long enough, you'll go, I can do that. And you can't. Trust me, you can't. But you start to think that you can. But one of the things that I learned about blacksmithing is a technique. I've got a picture coming up of, they call it Damascus, making Damascus. And these knives, it creates this very beautiful pattern. And what they do is they'll take a piece of metal and they'll heat it up in the fire and they'll beat it with a hammer and then they'll draw it out. And then they'll fold it back over on itself and they'll beat it together again. And they'll repeat that process multiple times. Strain and stretch the metal, fold it back on itself. Strain and stretch the metal, fold it back on itself. And the result is you get these very beautiful patterns in the metal. And not only are they beautiful, Damascus steel is ultra strong and, ultra, and will hold its sharpness for a very long time. A lot of times God will do the same thing with his believers. He'll stretch you just a little farther you want to go. He'll put you in a little bit of heat. But in doing that, he'll form you and he'll begin to build in you a beauty and a strength you would have never had without that hardship. Uh, secondly, 
ways that God may use suffering in your life is uh, point B is witnessing opportunities. Back in 1 Peter 3, read with me. This is verses 15 and 16. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of your hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as an evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So here's what Peter says. He's like, hey, as you're going through hardships, as you're dealing with this, if people attack you, be prepared to explain your faith. Because if you're handling it correctly, if you're handling hardship with joy and excitement and you're not anxious, people are going to come up to you and go, what's wrong with you? Like hardship and relational problems, these things seem to sink me, but for some reason, it doesn't seem to bother you. As a matter of fact, you seem to thrive in hardship. And then this is our opportunity to say things like, you know, I know God has a plan. This plan is bigger than me. And he may require me to go through something hard in order, in order for me to, uh, to be a part of that plan. But I know him and I know he's good and I know that he has the ultimate good in his plans. And I am his forever. This hardship is temporary. And then we can vo- uh, point to verses like Romans 3.23 that says, For God works together all things for the good of those that love him. And we can just tell people, I have a hope in hardship because I know who my God is. And I know what he gives us. And I know that he's doing something. I don't have to understand it. I just trust him. Now, if you're like me, you have a lot of questions about this. How does this work? And if you're selfish like me, you're like, I don't really like the way that God has this to work. And we start to work through in our mindset and we start to come up with these these questions like, okay, well, if God is good, but he has to hurt me for his purpose, that doesn't seem good. That seems selfish. We start to ask ourselves, does God really care about us? He does. Because see, God cares more about your eternal good than he does your momentary pleasure. I'm going to say that again. I want you to write that on your heart. God cares more about your eternal good than he does your eternal pleasure. That's pretty much the crux of all the rules in the Bible. All those things that we're not supposed to do. God says, hey, yeah, sin may be attractive. Sin may be fun. But in the long run, that's going to kill you. So I'm going to ask you to give up the momentary pleasure of sin for your overall spiritual eternal health. God cares more about our eternal health than our momentary pleasure. And so when we experience hardship, we walk into hardship with that mindset. It's hard now, but God has a purpose in this. In short, we choose to be the donkey who follows the rider instead of expecting the rider to follow the donkey. Uh, Peter continues this thought. Read with us in verse 17. It says, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So Peter says, hey, it's better for you to suffer if it's in the will of God under, under certain circumstances than it is for you to suffer away from God. And he begins to talk about this will of God. The, the will of God is just God's ability to decide a direction and go in that direction. As we said earlier, God has a plan for your life. 
God had a plan for you before you were born. You fit into this giant puzzle scheme of what he wants to do throughout eternity. He has a plan for you to come to know Christ and for you to lead other people to Christ. He has a plan for you to serve and to teach. He has a plan for you to witness. He has a plan for you to be an example to that one grumpy person at work. God has a plan for every aspect of your life. He knows what he's doing, and he has a purpose in those actions. So if God's will is that we walk through hardship as part of that journey, it's for the ultimate good. But here's where the problem is, is God has a will. God can determine an action and a decision and a, and a direction, but we have wills as well. And there's this part of us that says, I want to pick my own path. I don't want to do it my way. I don't want God's will for my life. I want my will. And there's where we have the problem. There's where we clash. So if we're going to be able to do what Peter calls us to, we have to be willing to surrender to his will before we walk into hardship, not in the midst of it. Your next take-home truth is, is number five. It says, to have joy in suffering, we must have more desire for God's will than our own. I call this having purpose and problems. See, here's how we have to remind ourselves, and I'm, I'm, by the way, not very good at this myself, but here's how we do this. We say, okay, God has a plan. And I know deep in my heart, I know that God is good. And if he is good, anything that he decides must be good. So God's plan must be good. And we keep this focus on that because sometimes God's best plans require the most amount of suffering. Read what Peter says here in, in, in verse 18. He says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Here's what Peter says. He said, look, you're not more special than Jesus. And part of God's plan for your and my salvation, for this eternal plan of being able to bring people back to him, of redemption and salvation, required the most suffering any individual has ever gone through, and suffering that was undeserved. See, Jesus walked this earth with no sin, never doing anything to anybody, yet he, he suffered hatred from people, he suffered rejection, he suffered bodily harm, and then because of my sins and your sins, Jesus Christ separated, or suffered being separated from the Father, and all of the weight of the world's sins put on him, and it wasn't fair, and he didn't deserve it, and that's the point. Jesus was willing to suffer through that because it was part of God's greater plan to bring you and me to him. See, there's this, I brought this up last week, but there's this point that's just in my mind where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's crucified and he knows what's about to happen. He created human beings. He knows everything about how pain works and what happens when you take a whip to the bare flesh of a man. And he knows what kind of suffering and agony it is to be suffocated on a cross. And he knows all of this. And he's praying in the garden. He's praying to God the Father. And he's saying, hey, if there's any other way we can accomplish this, let's go that route. I don't want to do this. I don't want to suffer through that. But then what does Jesus say? But nevertheless, not my will but yours be done because the plan is greater than the moment. 
And this morning, maybe all you need to hear out of this entire message as we talk about suffering and hardship is that God let his own son go through suffering so that he could know you. And if you don't know him, if you've never accepted his salvation, let me just invite you here in a minute. I'm going to be right down here. Come talk to me. I would love to tell you what it means to put your faith in Christ. You can know him today before you leave. But for the rest of us, maybe we need to change our mindset. Liv, if you want to start making your way up here. Do you know what the word Christian means? When you call yourself a Christian, do you know what that means? It means to be Christ-like. It means to walk in the same steps that Christ walked in. And in some cases, it may mean being willing to suffer like Christ suffered for the ultimate good of God's plan. Let me just ask you, I think everybody's had a different hardship this week or this month or this year. How have you been walking through that? Have you been walking through it as an example for Christ? Giving people reason to want to know our Savior? Have we been walking through hardship like the world? Angry and bitter and frustrated. This morning, maybe what you need to do is just give that to God and repent and say, God, I did not handle this hardship the way that you called me to. But God, I want to be a light for you. So give me the ability to walk in this in a different way. This is open for you this morning. I'm sitting up here waiting on you. If you want to know Christ as your Savior, I want to talk to you. If you just need to pray, please come up here and pray. There's something special about stepping out of that pew and coming to pray up at the altar. It's something just cleansing about that. Whatever you do, don't leave here this morning the same way that you walked in. Let's stand and worship together.